Book genres are so 20th century. No, 19th century. They made sense when each book needed to be placed on a physical shelf so people could find similar titles. But what if you want to find a vampire romance, a post-apocalyptic comedy, a Western mystery where the main character is an android, a World War II adventure with magic, or a story based around a character of any race or religion or gender, set in any time or any place you choose. Scribble now brings searching for books into the 21st century, even if you're looking for one set in the 17th. Find the books you'll love by selecting the story elements that matter to you at scribble.com. You'll never look for books the same way again. Search by story elements only at scribble.com. That's S-C-R-I-B-L dot com. Welcome to the PatioBooks.com presentation of Murder at Avedon Hill. My name is P.G. Holyfield. And now, episode 18 of Murder at Avedon Hill. Chapter 16. The Smell of Gold The Icon of Iberian, the Child of Prophecy I'm richer than the king of you. I'm richer than Aj, and nobody knows who I am. One benefit, I'm rarely the target of one of my own assassins. The Autobiography of Arlen Gricka Aramis Sindarin spent the next half-psych at Kaj's butcher shop. Kaj provided Aramis a much-needed meal consisting of lamb and beef strips wrapped in a hollowed-out loaf of bread. Aramis dipped the extra pieces of bread into a sauce that Kaj mainly used as a marinade. After a short conversation with Kaj about hunting in the surrounding forests, Aramis and his student left Kaj's shop and headed towards the general store. Why didn't you ask Kaj about the night of the murder? I already know from Constable Lewis's notes that Kaj was out on a hunt that day and stayed overnight outside of town. We can return at some point and ask him more questions if we find the need. The two men made their way back to the northwestern part of town, again passing the dilapidated theater. They heard the sound of hammering from inside the theater. They continued on and reached the general store. Alex DeWeeran looked up from a book he had been reading and smiled. Made your way back to the outskirts of town, Sir Aramis. Aaron spoke as they approached the counter. Why is your store in this corner of town? 
and is off the main path between the town gate and the Oviarn Pass. Surely your business suffers due to your location. Ah, Aaron, isn't it? Aaron nodded. I have only lived in Avedon Hill for six years now. Possibly, by the time I'm ready to retire, Lord Avedon will allow me to move my shop to the town circle. For now, however, I must survive here. Most of the regular traders know where I am, and go out of their way to purchase supplies. Aramis changed the tone of the discussion. Did your unhappiness about the location of your store carry over into your relationship with Greta Platt? Alex DeWiren appeared confused. My unhappiness about this location has always been directed at Lord Avedon, not the unfortunate Greta Platt. I also doubt you would classify the limited contact I had with Miss Platt as a relationship. That is not what we heard from those at the manor. Alex DeWiren looked to be about 35, with short cropped hair and pale skin that seemed to get paler by the moment. Like most that lived in the town, the shop owner looked as if he rarely spent time outside. I have no idea what you're talking about. Aramis pulled out his journal and began looking at his notes. You argued with Greta on more than one occasion about your financial difficulties, did you not? Alex pursed his lips. Argued. That's a strong word. If you consider pleading with the Avedon housemistress to loosen Lord Avedon's rules concerning the shipment of items from here to other towns as arguing, then yes, I guess so. Rules. Alex shook his head at the monk. You have your work cut out for you, Sir Aramis. Obviously, you are searching for a reason why someone would want to bring harm to Greta Platt. The housemistress kept watch over the gold coming in and going out of Avedon Hill. Always a good motive for murder, don't you think? Aramis was unmoved. You did not answer my question. So I didn't. I was just remarking that you are probably on the right track. But I am not your man. I have certainly run headlong into a wall when it comes to changing how things work in Avedon Hill. I, as a merchant, can buy, sell, and trade items within these walls, but I am not allowed to export any of my stock outside of town. That goes for some of the other merchants here. You should speak to Herjar about his own problems with these rules. For example, last season... I came across a case of wine from Eastern Anara that I knew would fetch a goodly sum in Haven. I knew the seller was unable to travel to Haven because of a few warrants. He waved his hand. Harmless fellow, all things told. In any case, I decided to buy the wine myself and send it to a merchant I know in Haven. By chance, a shipping company on its way to Haven came through Abaddon Hill the next week. I would have made a nice profit, but Greta put a stop to it. How could she even have known that the wine was yours? Aramis interjected. The wine was on the books as cargo when it came through the pass. When your friend left Avedon Hill, the wine was marked as missing. Yes, they keep good records. Cletus gets a cargo list from the manor every day. Sometimes two or three times a day, depending on how many merchants enter Avedon Hill through the pass. Cletus notes any differences in cargo, and asks about items that are added or missing from the list. 
Greta knew I had acquired the wine the day I bought it, so when it came time to ship the wine, it had already been tagged as goods meant for sale in Avedon Hill. The man I had transporting the wine to Haven slipped. He admitted he was transporting it on my behalf. All he had had to do was say he bought it from me, and I would have paid the tax on it. So you cannot ship your own goods? You can only buy and sell from within your store? Yes, sir. It is the price you pay for doing business in Avedon Hill. Aaron thought for a moment. Are you allowed, as you suggested, uh, to use merchants traveling through Avedon Hill as, as middlemen? You sell to these merchants, and then they sell to your intended customers in other cities. If you can get away with it. For most of my wares, certainly. For unique items, like the wine, I can do this two or three times a year without raising suspicion. This made no sense to Aaron. What about Hemming? He sells his goods in Elyon and in other places, correct? Alex snapped his fingers, stopping with his index finger pointing in the air. There you have it. He turned back to Aramis. Ha ha ha, you're following the right lead, Sir Aramis. You just have to knock on the right doors. Unless you are one of those that believes in vampires. Aaron pushed the issue. So help us. You know more about this than we do. Explain it to us. There's no chance of that, son. There's a fundamental truth about Avedon Hill that you will have to learn for yourselves if you wish to understand why Greta was murdered. This is only my opinion, of course, but I'm not the one to share that truth with you. I have a business to keep afloat. I've learned how to work the system as best I can. I can only hope the next housemistress will have a different view of the world than Greta Platt. And besides, I was with Marissa the night Greta was murdered. Aramis nodded. So I have heard. Is there anything else you need, gents? Thank you. No, we will return if we learn anything you can help us with. Alex bowed slightly. Of course. I am at your service. Aramis and Aaron began leaving the store. Alex DeWiren stopped them with a call. Oh, and by the way, I certainly didn't kill Greta Platt over some wine. She ended up buying the wine from me herself. And she paid me nearly what I would have gotten from my contact in Haven. And why did she do that? Alex shrugged. I don't rightly know. Maybe she felt guilty about the whole thing. Maybe Lord Avedon has a real appreciation for the desert grapes of eastern Anara. I don't know. But I do know that I didn't kill her. They closed the door behind them and headed southeast. We should have pressed him harder on this. He knows more than he is saying. True, but we cannot make him talk. Like Hemming, once we have enough evidence... Alex DeWiren will have more of a reason to talk. I understand his resistance. Aramis stopped and thought for a moment before continuing. We need to expand on our search again. I want you to go to our friend Marissa's shop. Confirm what Alex told us about being with Marissa the night of the murder. Constable Lewis still believes Alex had enough time to make it to the manor after he left Marissa's company. What will you be doing? I think I will return to the library. Oh, please. You just want to see that librarian again. While the prospect of visiting with Lane Nichols again is appealing, this has more to do with Avedon Hill, and specifically its history. Everything we have learned thus far about Greta Platt deals with her role as Avedon Manor's housemistress. 
As you know, I do agree with one thing Alex said. We need to consider all possible motives. The rules Alex spoke of seem to change depending on the townsperson. A look at the history of Avedon Hill might provide us more information as to why things work the way they do here. Oh, I know why things work the way they do here. These people are, are all touched in the head. <laughs> I cannot completely argue for or against that statement, though I do see your point. Aramis smiled and began walking south towards the library. Meet me at the town circle when you are done. I might be a while, so if you find anyone else to talk to, be friendly and learn what you can. Aramis found himself nearly rushing to the library. He and Aaron had met Lane Nichols the day before. For the first time that Aramis could remember, he had felt an instant connection to a woman on a personal level. Even though he had retired from the ironic order, Aramis Cragen had shied away from pursuing physical relationships. The driven Aaron had only ever allowed himself one foray into that arena, and it had ended very badly for both involved. And while his current mission was far too important to allow him to lose focus, Aramis was planning on enjoying a second meeting with Avedon Hill's local librarian. The monk found Lane Nichols standing behind the counter that separated the reading room of the library from the stairs that led down to where most of the library's collection was housed. As she had stated she would, Lane was repairing the book they had used the day before, the Linus Compendium. She appeared to be stitching some leather over the spine of the book. She looked up and smiled at Aramis. Good morning, Sir Aramis. Her smile touched Aramis, and he could only smile in return. Where's your young student today? Lane was wearing her hair down, black silkiness hanging nearly to her waist. He had to run an errand for me. I couldn't help but notice that your stay here now has more of a purpose. Have you determined who murdered Greta Platt? No, not yet, I'm afraid. We are running into many obstacles, the greatest of which seems to revolve around the relationship between the Avedons, the house mistress, and the rest of Avedon Hill. And by house mistress, you refer to the position and not Greta Platt? Yes. Aramis felt his heart rate increase. Unlike the day before, when he and Aaron nearly lost control of themselves in Sarah Tremaine's shop, Aramis noticed that his reactions to Lane were far more subtle. It was Lane's intelligence that affected him the most, although her seemingly ageless beauty was a draw as well. Which is exactly why I am here. I was hoping you might have something here that details the history of Avedon Hill. Her eyes lit. Of course. Lane's face displayed disappointment almost as quickly, however. You're not going to find too much in the way of details, however. Anonymity seems to be one of Avedon Hill's strengths for nearly 400 years. Give me a moment. She turned and walked down the stairs. Lane returned a few moments later, her blue dress billowing around her feet as she walked. The grace in her step was unmistakable. Here you are, Sir Aramis. Aramis read the title, The Journal of Aubrey Avedon, 208-240 AI. May I? Aramis pointed to the reading area behind him. Please. She walked over and lifted a hinge underneath the counter that allowed her to cross into the room. The two walked over to the largest table and sat down together.
Aaron left his mentor, as asked, and walked to Marissa's workshop. Marissa had been instrumental in securing them entry into Avedon Manor, but she had not been happy to see them in the first place, and he suspected that Marissa would not be excited to see him again. Marissa's initial reaction was even worse than Aaron had anticipated. Marissa immediately rushed over to the railing that separated her work area from her living space and began what Aaron believed would surely end as a curse. But she stopped herself at, May Oz cut you down. Aaron looked behind him to be sure that no one else was the focus of her apparent rage. Expecting someone, Marissa. The herbalist closed her eyes for a moment to gather herself. I'm sorry. What was your name again? Aaron. Man. Right. I don't know why you are here, but I am busy. Please go. Disregarding her statement, Aaron walked to the stairs leading to the raised half of the room. Marissa threw her hands up in disgust. Does no one respect my wishes? Aaron smiled in an attempt to diffuse the woman's anger. I do apologize, ma'am, but I do need to ask you a couple of questions. Apparently, Marissa decided that if she began working, Aaron might eventually disappear because she walked away from the young man and grabbed three bottles filled with colored liquid and began mixing them in a small bowl. Alex DeWiren told us that he had dinner with you the night Greta was murdered. Without looking at Aaron, the herbalist muttered, How many times do I have to tell someone this? I spent the early part of the evening with Alex here in my shop. He has a problem with his leg and I make a salve for him. We make it a habit every two weeks or so to get together for dinner when he needs a new batch of medicine. But he left your home before the murder is considered to have taken place, correct? Again, without looking at Aaron, Marissa responded. Yes, and to answer your next three questions, he could have made it to the manor and murdered Greta. I don't know of any reason he would have killed Greta, and I don't know how he could have entered and left the mansion unseen. Marissa's refusal to look in his direction allowed Aaron to scan the room. Below the raised platform where they both stood was a desk. It was set in a small recess underneath a window, nearly out of Marissa's line of sight when she stood at her workbench. There was a small piece of parchment on the otherwise empty desk. Aaron couldn't remember seeing it the day before. So, can you go now? Yes, ma'am. I am sorry I interrupted your work. No, you're not. Please take your leave of me and tell your master that I have no more information that will help him in this investigation. Good day. Aaron bowed. He turned and walked down the stairs to the main level of Marissa's home. As he was passing near Marissa's desk, he acted as if he tripped over his own feet, dropping his pack to the floor. He used a quick arm motion to push the bundle over against Marissa's desk. He looked back to Marissa as he moved over to pick up his pack. She barely noticed what had happened as she was focused on the purple smoke billowing over the edge of one of her glass containers. While retrieving two apples that had fallen out of one of his pockets, Aaron read the note on Marissa's desk. You said you had what you needed to fix the potion. I do not know how long I can continue this. This is better work, Marissa. Aaron resisted the impulse to grab the parchment. He threw his pack back over his right shoulder and continued out the door. He headed towards the town circle, knowing he had to find Aramis quickly.
Aramis read the journal of Aubrey Avedon with one eye fixed on the enchanting librarian sitting to his left. While the journal did not provide any shattering insights on the Avedon family, it did go into two areas that shed a little more light on the Avedon-Platt-Avedon-Hill relationship. Gloria Platt had previously explained to Aramis that Ella Platt had been the first house mistress of the Avedon family. Aubrey Avedon had lived almost 200 years later. Many times in his journal, Aubrey mentioned his own housemistress, Nora Platt. It was plain that she was his confidant and that she did more than just run his household, but he provided no specifics. The second and more important piece of information was Aubrey's description of Avedon Hill itself. It was more of a mining town during this time, but amazingly enough, the town Aubrey described could have been the Avedon Hill of the present. Many of the same names were mentioned in the journal. Hemming, Bohr, Garrett. And at one point, Aubrey Avedon listed the number of inhabitants at Avedon Hill, 48. A few more than presently lived in Avedon Hill, but certainly not as many as Aramis had expected. Do you have any more information on the number of people that lived in Avedon Hill during its history? Lane smiled. It's more of the same... As far as I can tell, at no point in Avedon Hill's history, except when the pass was being built, has there ever been more than 50 permanent inhabitants. Visitors welcomed, but never encouraged to stay. You noticed the chapter about Rain's Outpost? Rain's Outpost was the name of the gate at the other end of the Elviaran Pass. A member of the Prentice Barony by the name of Rain controlled that gate. Efforts were made during Aubrey's life to build more of a settlement around the other end of the pass. It wasn't spelled out exactly, but Aubrey intimated that the Prentice family had been paid or otherwise convinced to disregard this idea. Lane asked, What do you know of the Prentice family? I do not believe I have ever had the pleasure. Exactly. It seems they lost power around the same time as they began to infringe on the Avedon monopoly. Lane Nichols stood. Aramis rose as well. Unable to help himself, Aramis inhaled as quietly as possible, hoping to take in the aroma of the woman by his side. The only odor he encountered, however, was of books and candles. Lane reached out and touched the monk's arm. Thank you, Sir Aramis. I can't tell you the last time I've had so much fun. I have some work to do downstairs, so I will take my leave of you. Aramis bowed, unable to speak. The touch of Lane's fingers on his arm left him wanting more. Uh, Lane. Yes, Sir Aramis? Lane looked to be anywhere between 30 and 45 years of age. His growing feelings for the woman made Aramis ask the question. How old are you? The librarian smiled. A gentleman does not ask such questions. Let's just say that I'm older than I look, but younger than I feel most of the time, Aramis. For the first time, Lane had not used the term, sir. Aramis left the library a happy man. Aaron had almost reached the town circle when Shane Olivet caught up with him. Aaron, wait! The stable boy was nearly out of breath. Shane must have been running around looking for him. I need to tell you. Remembered something. Aaron took Shane over to a nearby rock and had him sit and catch his breath. 
Only after Shane calmed down did Aaron allow him to speak. You told me earlier to find you if I remembered anything out of the ordinary. Yes. What is it? Well, the morning before Greta was murdered, or was it the day before that? I can't remember. I was walking through town and rounded the corner of the butcher shop and ran into Brianna Ray, and I mean ran into her, knocked her right on her arse. How could you run into her? It's not like the streets are narrow and busy. Shane waved a hand at Aaron and suppressed a chuckle. No, I have a shortcut that takes me around the back of the butcher shop. It was just bad luck that I ran into her, and that's why I remembered it. She wasn't using the road. She was on a side trail, almost like she didn't want to be seen. Aaron nodded. He waited patiently. There had to be more to the story than knocking a maid from her feet. Shane finally delivered. But it was what she was carrying that was the strange thing, Sir Aaron. Packages went flying out of her hands. I helped her pick them up. They were packages of meat. Packages of meat? From the butcher shop? How is that strange? The butcher delivers orders to the manor himself. Brianna Ray wouldn't be sent to pick up items for Chef Roland. Maybe she was picking up an order for her own use. I guess that's possible, but she was heading back to the manor, and I haven't told you the strangest thing of all. Shane leaned in. Aaron wasn't playing along as Shane had hoped. When Aaron did not lean in as well, Shane straightened up and rolled his eyes. Fine. When I bent down to help her, she got all upset. And when I was done refilling her bag, my hands came away all bloody. Bloody? She wasn't carrying raw meat, Aaron. She was carrying blood-soaked packages. A lot more blood than you would expect. Someone had to request the packages be that way. They were wrapped, so I couldn't tell what they were. All I know is it wasn't your run-of-the-mill order from the butcher. Did you ask her why there was so much blood? No, she was practically running by the time she left my side. Of course, Shane wanted Aaron to discuss the possible connection between blood and vampires, but Aaron refused to go down that path until he found Aramis. Thank you, Shane. If you remember anything else, come find me. Listening to Murder at Avedon Hill, a podcast novel written and produced by P.G. Holyfield. Please visit pgholyfield.com for more information on this novel and the author. Most of the music in this podcast generously provided by Shira Common through Magnatune.com. Magnatune.com, they are not evil. Additional music generously provided by Kevin McLeod through his website at Incompetech.com. Be sure to check out Murder at Avedon Hill at patiobooks.com, and if you are so inclined, please post a review at iTunes, at Podcast Pickle, 
or at patiobooks.com. Audio comments about the podcast can be left on the Cairn line at 704-315-5884 or go to pgholyfield.com and click on the Call Me button to leave comments. This podcast is copyright 2007-2008 by P.G. Holyfield and is released under a Creative Commons attribution, non-commercial, no derivative works, 3.0 U.S. license.